exile and when when um, Abraham almost sacrifices Isaac. And last week we looked at Midrashim that tell the, the Sarah side of that story. That this is a day, what's this day historically commemorating? This day is historically commemorating parents exiling their children, sending away their children. Wow, Mazel Tov, Hayom Harat Olam. Um, and then we looked at Hayom Harat Olam, um, which is this repeated um, part of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy that expresses um, you know, on this day, the world was born. And then it gets to this piece that expresses this anxiety about actually our relationship with God. And we see that then again, kind of exploded on Yom Kippur. But in Rosh Hashanah, we just say, Im kavanim, im kavadim. So whether we're your children, whether we're your servants, like have mercy on us because we are looking to you. And we talked about that real anxiety that's inherent in like, who am I to you? Am I your child? Am I your servant? And and then and then on Yom Kippur, it's like 80 times more, right? Like, I'm your lover, I'm your sheep, I am your, <laughs> I have a million things to you, right? Um, but but we sometimes we just say and we sing it this like happy clappy, like and it's like, wait, that's actually so messed up. <laughs> um, and if you said that to a human, who am I to you? That's not like some happy thing. Like, I don't know. Am I, like if you said to your parent, like, I don't know. Am I your child? Am I your slave? That wouldn't be some sort of like loving thing to do, right? That would be a complaint. <laughs> if you said that's that. Um, and and so where we left last week was in this very destabilizing kind of moment of Rosh Hashanah is a commemoration of broken relationships. That's where we left it. And I promised that this week we would try and redeem it. So that's what we're going to attempt to do today. Um, and I will try and remember to like pause as we're going through um, so that we can take a moment to mind the chat and see if people have any comments. Definitely my preference is for people to um, make comments into the chat just so that we can like move things along. I know sometimes if people, a lot of people are great at making their own comments and sometimes people are just a little fumbling on the unmute and whatever. It just takes a while. So ideally if people just want to put comments into the chat and we'll just pause and take those at a certain point, um, that usually just goes a little bit more smoothly. So I'm going to share my screen. You're also welcome to open up the source sheet on your own page or if you printed it out in advance, extra points to you. Um, and the reason why you might want to do that is just because we're not going to be looking at every word of every source, as I mentioned before. Um, so you have it all so you can um, you can look at it uh, kind of on your own time if you want. Okay, and I also put in these like introductory little like arguments to each side and hopefully that'll help people um, follow a little bit. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is last week we talked about, we, we introduced the character of Cain, and, and when you're reading it, and we saw this last week, when you're reading it, you get to Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have already been sent out of the garden. And so then it seems like, okay, they leave the garden, what's the first thing they do? Well, it seems like Adam probably starts working the earth, and Eve has to like live out her punishment too, so she has a kid, right? Because that's what her punishment is all about, and that kind of makes a good deal of sense with the flow of things. And also, by the way, like only after they eat the fruit do they sort of become aware of their, it seems like they become aware of their sexuality. They realize that they're naked. So like, how could it be that they would have children before they have that realization? Um, anyway, so there's a lot in favor of the idea that Cain is not conceived. Adam and Eve don't have sex until they, um, until they leave Eden. However, there's another option, which is, that was source number one, we just talked about it. Um, here's Rashi on that source, which is why a lot of people, if you said to them, when was Kayan born? If they know the Torah only through Rashi, they may not even realize that it's actually in the Torah in order comes after 
they get kicked out of Eden because here's Rashi, Vadam Yada, Kfar Kodim Ha'inyan Shamala. Rashi says this is one of those times when the Torah is not written in order. This was before the events related above. Kodem Shechata. Actually, Kayan was conceived, possibly even born, which I'll get to. Oh, yeah, which he'll say in a second. Um, before the sin, before they get sent out of Eden, and similarly, the whole pregnancy and the birth, that all, according to Rashi, all of that happens in Gan Eden, and then he brings a grammatical argument, if if it was actually after, then it should have said, Adam. So, um, and then it would mean that it would be after he was kicked out of Eden that he had children. Um, that grammatical argument sort of works, sort of doesn't. I happen to live with an expert in biblical Hebrew grammar, so we kicked this around a little bit earlier. Um, and, you know, Rashi's not crazy, but then it, the rest of the sentence doesn't line up with his grammatical argument. Anyways, for a different time, or you can get in touch with my spouse. Uh, but here's where Rashi's building off of, which is Barishi Raba. 22 to. So remember last week we saw, and, and we'll see it again later on today, the Midrash and Vayikra Rabbah about all the stuff that happened on the sixth day of creation, which is the day of Rosh Hashanah. Um, and um, here we're going to see that there are actually three more things, or two more things, I guess, that happen. So here in Brigitte Rabbah, we have Amar Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, Shlosha Pelaim Na'asubo Tohayom. On that day, three wonders happened on that same day. Bobayom Nivru. On that day, they were created. So we know that we're in the sixth day of creation. Bobayom Shimshu. And on that day, they had sex. Bobayom Hotzim Tolado. And on that day, they had children. The Midrash understands that all the children born in these early generations were born in multiples. Um, that's not really our topic for tonight. But anyways, this is just a way to see like, wow, we're really adding in a lot, a lot of stuff happening on that sixth day of creation. And obviously the reason why they need to do that is like the first three prakim of Rishid are this big chronological question mark. Um, and so the Midrash is going to attempt all different ways to make sense out of that. Um, and one of them is to say, Cain was born at lots of things happened on the sixth day of creation, including Cain being born. Um, and okay, so now we have to go to what happens when Cain is born. Because here's our point. This is where I'm going with this. They're still in Gan Eden, let's say. That's what we're going with. Even though it's a little bit of a problematic read of the text, we're going with it for now. Um, so we're still in Gan Eden. They haven't, they haven't eaten the fruit yet. They have Cain. And what, what do they make of it, right? This is the first pregnancy and the first birth. Like, what does Chava think is happening to her body when Cain emerges? Kaniti ish et Hashem. I have gained a person with the help of Hashem. Kaniti kanakanin. I have acquired a person with the help of Hashem. It can mean I have created a person with the help of Hashem. Kana has this dual meaning of to acquire and to create. We're going to see Rav Hirsch talk about that soon. Um, but where Classically, people go with this, kaniti ish et Hashem, et being with here. And that's where Rabbi Akiva takes that. So he says, originally, Adam nivra adama, v'chava adam. So in the past, in the beginning, man was created from the earth and Chava was created from man. But from here on out, we talked about this last week also, that b'talminu kibutinu, um, and Akiva pointed out that um, sheet, when when Sheet is born, he is declared to be uh or when Sheet is conceived and, and whatever, he is created like the Talmidu Kibutinu of Adam and Eve. So that's what we have here also, but um um also quoting the angels at our God's conversation, maybe with the angels. That's how we traditionally understand it, at least when God says, let us make man um in our likeness and our image. I, I'm 
so mikan ve'ilach v'talminu kimutinu is how everyone's going to be created going forward. Lo ish below ishava, lo ishava, lo ish. It's always going to be us together, a woman with not a woman without a man, not a man without a woman. Obviously, our modern fertility um, techniques have kind of undermined that. The lo shneihem and then not either of them or both of them together below shchina. So kamiti ish et hashad means I have created together with God. Um, and that's where Rashi takes it at Hashem, Kamo Im Hashem, Kshabarao Tiv at Ishi, Hula Vadobra Anu of Shutafim Anu Imo. In this creation of Kayan, we have created with him. Okay. So I have created, I am part of this incredible creation. It's as far as we know, it's the first thing humans ever contribute to creation. We haven't yet seen anyone any human like make something grow or whatever um and that's so that's pretty amazing and especially if we're imagining if we're understanding that they're still in Ghanedan so they're not working the land or anything like that this is really the first act of creation by humans and um here's what Rav Hirsch says and I'm so sorry it's so silly to bring Rav Hirsch in Hebrew because it's originally in German um, but I just didn't have access to it in English online and I don't have an English uh, Rav Hirsch book in my house um, and so we are here with the Hebrew um, and I thought yeah anyways okay um, and so this is the Feldheim um, Hebrew so Kaniti Ishad Hashem so the 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 foundational um like idea in in Kinyan is tied up in the idea of creation. So right, Kinyan, we're used to it, like I bought this thing, but really Kinyan is about creation. Um, and then he says, right, Ikar a man's like foundational. Um, treasure is his own strength. And therefore, the 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 heart of the idea of acquisition is not by money; it's acquisition by force. And so, therefore, is That might be familiar to you from Friday Night Liturgy, for example, um, right? So, when God is creator of the heavens and the earth, um, but it all—it's konet, right? Acquirer of the heavens and the earth. That's certainly not what it means. God is creator of the heavens and earth. What does that mean? God is the owner of the heavens and the earth because God created it. Um, okay, we're going to stop there. But right, the idea is, oh, yeah. Um, so in our verse here at the end, he says, So through um, sacrificing, giving over some of my strength, I have acquired slash created um, this person. So we have this kind of primary assumption. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. This is their first ever creation. And their assumption is you make it, you own it. And that seems to be maybe God's assumption also at the beginning, right? Kaniti Ishad Hashem. Great, God made us, God owns us. We made kind, we own Kain. And everyone's gonna do what they're supposed to do because we own them. There are property. I need you. You are my property, right? So we talked last week about this tension. Am I your child? Am I your slave? Well, if I made you and therefore I'm your property, um, then uh, yeah, I'm your child and your slave because those are the same things, right? When humans are property, then humans are slaves. Um, and so if the, the primary primordial assumption about what is your creation, your creation, you own your creation, Kana and Kana, right? Those are the same terms. I, I made it and I owned it uh, and I own it. And that's Kayan. Great. I had a child. I owned it. Okay. So that's our primary starting out assumption about what it means to have children. And then, right, just to note, um, um, the, oh, the Ramban has a slightly different read. I think we're going to... Um, skip that um 
but the the assumption is that Havel was born after. And so then if Kayan is born in this world where it's like, yes, I made it, I own it, it's mine, how amazing. And then they get kicked out and then they have this other kid and there's no mention of like why Havel is named Havel. There doesn't seem to be any kind of brouhaha around his birth. Um, and, um, and the Ramban points out yeah, and then by the time they have Hevel, um, Kinyan Hadam Lehevel Dama. Um, and they realize man's acquisition is likened to that. Okay, so they we first have Kayan, that's so great. Oh, Kayan, you know, Kayan is gonna do all this stuff for us. Oh, hold on, like that whole idea of parenthood, of childhood is gonna fall apart when they leave. They'll later have Hevel and it's all going to fall and they're going to realize, oh, actually, this is all for nothing. And then they name their child Havel, nothingness. Okay, so just so in case you thought Jews were the only people who have this idea, um, John Locke also had it. Um, and um, it's not maybe such an accident that Locke and uh, Rav Hirsch have very similar ideas. Um, anyways, okay. Um, but here's John Locke's ideas expressed in his second treatise. Um, he's wondering, like, how did property come to be? That's how John, John Locke, political um, theorist, he says, yeah, okay, so everything was common to everyone at the, at the outset, um, but everyone also owned themselves. So unlike maybe God owning you, right? It, Locke's idea is everyone owns, owns themselves. Nobody has any right, any right to but himself but then you have the labor of his body the work of his hands we may say are properly his so all of a sudden i only own myself but i also own the things i've put effort into so whatsoever then he removes out of the state of that nature hath provided and left it in he hath mixed his labor with and joined to it something that is his own and therefore thereby makes it his property. So how does property come to be? I put effort into it. I put labor. I put creative energy would be the way of Hirsch would put it. And now it is mine. That is John Locke's understanding of the origin of property. It was in the state of nature. I've changed it out of the state of nature. Now it is mine. Okay. So this idea that creation and ownership are the same, that's our starting assumption about how children work. What is my child? My child is my property. Okay, but then it's going to turn out we don't own the humans that we create. Um, so Hashem, after Hashem gives out punishment, he then says, wait, hold on, we're in trouble. Um, this person, he could do anything. He doesn't just do what I tell him. They could do, they could, they could eat from the tree of life and they, they could live forever. And like, what a terrifying idea that is. Okay, actually, what I've learned is that my the things I created are not necessarily my property. They can do crazy things. Now I have to send them away banished people from the garden of eden to till the land from which they were taken um it, so we start out with this idea oh i made a human i cannot it it is now mine oh shoot it, it's not mine actually the things that the humans that i create does do not belong to me that introduces a level of danger and threat in the garden of eden god has to send them away um and right the ramban also says right um right all of a sudden adam like before adam ate the fruit he only did what he was commanded but now that's not that's not the truth that's not the case anymore okay so we've gotten to why do people have to be sent away? Why do we have this story and story and story again and again and again of maternal sacrifice? I created a child and they get sent away. 
So the starting point is, well, when we create humans, we don't own them. So they can sometimes leave or they can sometimes do bad things or sometimes we have to be separated from them. And that's just the way it is. But there's like a positive to that, which is that um, then those humans can choose us. So we see this the most starkly with the um, slave who decides to stay. And so if a slave kind of serves out his term and it's the Shemitah year and he's supposed to go free, and instead he says, Ahavdi at Aduni, I love my master and I love this life that I have here. I love my wife. I love my children. I do not wish to go free. Very few people in the Torah, it's actually all over Tehillim, right? Ahavdi, Kishma, Kulitahanurai, right? All over Tehillim, Ahavdi, almost never in the Torah. We have descriptions of people loving each other. We have Yitzhak and Rivka. We have Yitzhak loving Rivka, for example. Um, but that first person I love, very, this might be the only example of it. Um, and then, we have this opportunity, right? You would never have heard that from this person, from this slave. I love my life here. I love you. I want to stay in your house. I want to stay with this family I have here. You never would have heard that unless you had the opportunity to go free. And that's, we see these little acts of love, these little returns in all of the stories that we read on Rosh Hashanah. So we see Yitzhak and Yishmael it's really beautiful. It's just this one little pasuk by, um, we see them coming together to bury Abraham. So when Abraham dies in Genesis 25, so Abraham breathed his last, die, uh, breathed his last, dying at a good ripe age, old and contented. He was gathered to his kin. And who buries him? Yitzhak and Ishmael come back and bury him in Marat HaMachpilah, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field that Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. So the two sons of Abraham, at the end of the day, they come back and they do this amazing chesed shal amet, and they bury their father, which, by the way, like, we've never seen that before. We don't see Abraham, like, oh, I heard my dad died, I have to go back, I don't know, or I guess his dad died earlier, but um, we don't, we, we don't see other people up until this point in Breshit going back to do that type of burial, um, and it's, it's lovely, it's very, very sweet that they both, these two exiled, attempted, sacrificed um, sons come back to their father, they, they choose, they choose his legacy, see the same thing in Shmuel, Shmuel was born in Ramah. That's where his parents live. He was sent out to serve in the temple. But we, in the description of how he would, or not the temple, the Mishkan and Shiloh, and in the description of how he would judge the people, it says, and he would, one of the stops he would go to is, he would return to Ramah because his home was in Ramah. That's where he he still called it home but that was still home for Shmuel um and there he, he he was still working he still had his job he Sham Shafat Israel and he builds an altar there he's still doing the thing and that's his home in Ramah he returns and then maybe the most famous of all in Yirmiyahu we see there this is the one place where we see the return in the Rosh Hashanah reading we saw last week, right, Rachel just crying and crying, just like Hagar cries, just like Hannah cries, like everyone's crying, right? Uh, just like the mother of Sisra, we don't see her in any of the readings, but the shofar blasts are maybe based on her in the Gemara. Um, and we saw the Midrash last week, we saw the Midrash about Sarah crying also. Um, stop crying, restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from shedding tears, uh, for there's a reward for your labor, they shall return, they will return from the enemy's land, 
There is hope for her future. The children will return. So what if you never leave, you do not have the opportunity to return. And time and time again, we see that return happen. And there's a benefit also to when the children have to choose the relationship because it actually gives you power. It gives you power to, in your choice, you get to make something out of that choice. You get to make something out of that relationship. You determine what the nature of that relationship is. Um, so here's just as an example of us literally doing that, right? So if you're, um, let's say you're British, right? Who makes the British monarch? Oh, so Lily does, you can tell me, right? Who coordinates the British monarch? I think like the, the Archbishop of Westminster. Yeah, and where does the, when the, when the British monarch, like who gave the British monarch the right to be king? Ostensibly? Uh, supposedly God. Right, okay, great. Okay, on Rosh Hashanah, if you think, right, God makes people king, so then who makes God king? It should be God, right? God is just king, God's the king, God created us, God's the king, right? But what we just learned is that creation of humans does not give you ownership over them, right? When you create humans, they go and sin on you immediately. Within the first day of their own creation, they go and do crazy stuff. So actually, who makes God king? This is what we say on Rosh Hashanah. All shall come to serve you. They'll bless your glorious name, blah, blah, blah. All these people are coming together. They're going to say all these nice things. They will, what are all those people coming together to do? They are crowning you with a crown of glory. It's not some representative archbishop representing God, crowning God by God's self. Who crowns God? The people crown God. And then all these people, they, the people, they're accepting upon themselves the yoke of God's kingdom. And then they celebrate and they say all these nice things. Um, and people from far away, people from far away will, will hear about it and they'll come and they too will accept your kingship, but it's not just, oh, you're the king and now I'm accepting it. They're giving it to you. They have it and they are the ones who are giving you kingship. So God is not king until we coronate God. That's like this crazy thing that's happening on Rosh Hashanah and it's right there. That's not like some secret like surprise thing right this is one of the major pew team in the machzer and what it's describing is the coronation of god the kind of core to him that we read uh which we'll only read on um, sunday because it's part of the shofar service but then also um which we'll read uh we read it as part of all the Rosh Hashanah, or many of the Rosh Hashanah services. Um, it's a coronation song. It doesn't say it kind of as explicitly as this does, which is why I didn't bring it in. But right? that's about humans doing something to crown God, coronate and celebrate God's kingship. Um, and so um, if you want to read more about that, my grandfather wrote about it also, but it was like a little bit too complicated for the structure of this, um, of this shiur. Okay, so that's for us as children. From the perspective of children, what's the point in being sent away? The point in being sent away for us is that we can come back. Um, and that's really, I just want to like pause on that for a second because that means something crazy. Um, that means that when we experience distance in our relationship with God, 
um, that experience of distance is an opportunity. So usually um, when we feel like we experience distance from God, we kind of blame it on God. Like, God, why have you abandoned me? Um, Oh, like there can't, you know, there can't, I can't make sense of this situation. Um, I, or like, I can't understand how this works. It must be that there's nothing there. Um, and I think on Rosh Hashanah, what these stories might be teaching us is that actually that distance, um, if we can, if we can claw our way back, um, the way that these children did that, the way that all these children whose parents literally sacrificed them, found their way back to their parents. Um, it gives us the opportunity to similarly say, oh, you're, you're letting me go, but I don't let you go. I I, I love this relationship and I'm not leaving it. Um, and at the same, by the same token, the fact that we have distance and can choose back in is what then enables us to, to, to play a real role in that relationship. Are we children or are we slaves? Well, I think that we're actually only slaves if we're saying we want to be, if we're saying and I want to still be a slave. Um, I want to not mess up as much. This is a common theme in, in the Sliho liturgy, for example. Um, you know, like I have too much freedom Tighten, tighten it up a little bit, Hashem, so that I won't mess up all the time, right? There's this deep frustration that like screams out of the Slichot liturgy, which is like, if I had less free will, I wouldn't have screwed this up so much. So maybe like, maybe less. Um, um, and right, so when we say like, I think we're, 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 meaning we wouldn't, if, if God truly controlled our soul and our bodies, we would not need God to be, we would not need God to, um, have, um, to be, to like behave towards us with compassion because we wouldn't have done anything wrong in the first place, right? So we're actually saying, um, have compassion on us by like retaking control over these things um, and and helping us to do helping us to do the right thing here. Um, but once we've chosen that, then we can choose back into being avadim to Hashem in the way that the evid every who wants to stay does. Right? You choose it with love. You you make God your father you choose to be in that parental relationship with god make god your master you choose to be in that slavery ownership relationship with god you make god your king and you choose to be the subject of that king um and the liturgy of Hashanah has a really clear idea of the choice that you're supposed to make but what i'm arguing is that that choice doesn't make sense at all um unless you have the space and the freedom to make it and you can't have that space if you are kind if you're what what they dreamed kind would be you can't have that space if you are i created you and now i own you we only get to have that space if we're i created you i don't own you and there's distance between us now um, okay, I'm going to stop sharing my screen for a second and welcome some comments for a minute, if there are any, and then we're going to keep going because there's more here. I'll just give it a second. Okay, so everything I said totally makes sense. Everyone 100% agrees. There's no problems. Right here, we solved everything. All right. Well, people should just feel free to like put stuff into the chat if they want to. Okay. Um. All right. Back we go. 
Okay. So then there's this other piece, which is, um, what do I do as a parent? Um, right. That was as a child, right. As a child, this like gives me this, this, this model of maternal sacrifice on the receiving end, which seems like it might be the harder end. Um, as a child, it gives me the opportunity. I can choose back into the relationship and I can, I can do the um, I can do the coronation of God because I am a free person and I coronate um, or I set God as my master or as my father. And actually I get to choose. So by the way, with this reading, what is like, what is that? It's a menu. It's not, it's not this anxiety, what am I to you? Because it actually means that Hashem is not in control of what am I to you, right? Which lines up with right? everything is in the hands of God other than fear of God. So like, how do you fear God, right? Do I fear you the way uh, uh, a son fears a father? Do I fear you the way a slave fears a master? Do I fear you the way a subject fears a king, right? It's actually a menu. What, what is the relationship that I need to have with God right now? What is the relationship I'm praying to have? What is the relationship that I am building towards as a creation of God that is not owned by God, uh, that has free will, which is a huge problem, right? Having free will is the problem with everything, but it also opens up these tremendous spiritual opportunities for us to choose back into the relationship and define it um, as, as we want to, with so many options and opportunities. Um, okay. But then you read the stuff and at a certain point in your, your life, maybe you identify not just with the children in these stories, even though obviously in the like God human relationship, we are the children, but you also start to identify with the parents. And if you are a parent and you have your own children, then um, these moms who are sending away their kids or whose husbands are taking their kids to Mount Moriah without them even knowing about it, right? You start to cry with these women. You cry with Hagar, you cry with Rachel, you cry with Hara, and you cry with, with Sarah. Um, so like, okay, I get how to be the child in this, but I actually, actually I don't get how to be the parent in this. Um, and I think that there's something, this is the Midrash that we saw last week, by the way. Um, and and I, I brought it here because we have this, uh, we have this opportunity to zoom in on, on like what God does as a parent here. Um, and I think you'll see that, that it's actually, um, it's actually interesting. So, um, Right, so we're in the first, we're in the sixth day of creation, which is the first day that man ever existed. And right, so in the eighth hour, he was brought into the garden and into the garden. And the ninth hour, he was commanded, eat this, don't eat that. In the tenth hour, he violated the command. In the eleventh hour, he was judged. In the twelfth hour, he um, was pardoned, but was also sent away. Yetzabedimus. He was pardoned but also kicked out <laughs> pardoned and kicked out all at the same time and that is that is the model right so Akash Baruch who says or God says to Adam this is a sign to your children and the, just as you stood before me in judgment on this day and you walked away pardoned or you were sent away pardoned so too in the future, your children will stand before me in judgment on this day, and they too will be sent away pardoned. So on this day, we recognize that distance, we're sent away and we're pardoned in that relationship. Um, and I brought you this, this idea of demos, so it comes from demos, if anyone has their like Greek brain on like human people, population. Um, so where does it come from? So then how do we get to like amnesty or pardon? So you can just like read that in the gesture here. I brought it for you. Um, and I just wanted to point out one thing, which is that happens in the garden. So Adam and Eve get their punishment 
And then we think, oh, they get punished, they get immediately sent out, but it's not exactly right. Hashem does something in between, which is that Hashem makes them clothes. Hashem punishes them and then makes them clothes and then sends them out, right? And I think that's so beautiful. I'm sending you out, but I care about you. I want you to be safe down there. Put your coat on when you leave. That's what this is. Put your coat on on the way out of the house. It's kind of amazing. I think those clothes, they need a lot of, uh, they, 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 they get a lot of credit. And similarly, right, when Avram sends away Ishmael, he doesn't want to, first of all. And then he sends away with all this stuff, with bread, with water, and with someone to care for him. Right? It's not just like, okay, Ishmael, get out of here. You can imagine Avraham picking up Ishmael and putting him over Hagar's shoulder. Like he's putting her into a into putting him into a hug. You'll be cared for. You'll be taken care of. Now I'm sending you away. That's Avraham sending, sending away Ishmael. And then eventually the water runs out and Hagar she leaves the child under the bush but then she screams and, and cries about it like for her this is like incredibly hard incredibly caring on the part of Hagar so on the Yishmael has just been sent away by both of his parents but they did it in this like very loving um and caring way both of them. Um, and similarly, Hannah, we don't read this in the Haftarah, but it's like this amazing thing that she does. So Shmuel, he's serving Hashem. And, you know, it's all mixed in with like all the politics of Shiloh at the time and the sons of Eli and how terrible they are and all this terrible stuff that they're doing. But Shmuel, he's actually doing good stuff. Um, and he's wearing this linen ephod. And what else does he wear? He wears these me'il katan. He wears these little robes that his mother makes for him. And every year when she would come up to bring sacrifices, she would bring him a little robe. So just like God sends him off with clothes, Hannah also, she sends him off with clothes. Okay. So now we've talked about Ishmael. We've talked about God. We've talked about Shmuel. So we have to talk about the Akedah. And I have to say that the Akedah is really hard. Um, it is so, so, so very hard. And I think we, it's, it, you know, it's not so hard to talk about it in other contexts or in the abstract. Um, I've taught in the past about the Akedah, and my, uh, this was actually before I knew my spouse, but he's also like published on, on this also. Um, about the Akedah just being something that Jewish parents are called upon to do. So um, we all, we kind of sacrifice our children for this cause that we're all really committed to, which is like living Jewishly in this world. Um, and that Avrahams especially end up sacrificing their children because people who are countercultural, will their kids meet other kids and they suffer for it. And Avraham is like the most countercultural person who ever was and his son suffers for it tremendously might as well you know just take me up on a mountaintop and slaughter me that's how embarrassing it was to wear my yarmulke in school this week right like you can imagine um that I mean that's like a crazy thing to say right but you can imagine a kid really feeling that and really experiencing it really feeling that that their parents sacrificed their well-being for their ideology um um but I think in 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 this context where we've just seen all of these parents sending away their children in love so that their children potentially can choose it. And Hagar did not cause the death of Ishmael um, and she did not want it and she did not attempt it, nor did Avraham. Avraham sent him off thinking he was sending him off with everything he needed. But when you're trying to take a knife and slaughter your, your son, that's a little bit, that's a little bit next level. That's a little bit extreme um and that's not sending away your child with love so there's a read of this where we just say yeah Avraham Avraham took this too far Avraham missed the message 
you're supposed to send your child away, but you're supposed to do it with love. And love does not include actually being totally ready to, um, to commit this sacrifice. But that's not really where our liturgy takes it, but we do sort of see it in, um, in the Yerushalmi and Tani. So there's a piece of our sleepful liturgy, and then it, we say it with sleepful on Yom Kippur, um, that comes out of the Mishnah and Tani. Um, in the Mishnah and Tani, it's different than anything we ever say. The Mishnah and Tani understands there to be, um, or constructs really, um, extra brachot of the Shemona Esrei that a person would lead the congregation in on a very extreme version of a communal fast. And something that you would add in is this line, Mishanat Abraham Bahar Hamoriah, he who answered Abraham on Mount Moriah, who he will answer you and hear the sound of your cry on this day. Blessed are you, Lord, Redeemer of Israel. So, first of all, what is this imagining? This is imagining that Abraham did not just march up to Mount Moriah. Okay, it's hot, here we go. Like, yep, you're the lamb. Okay, ready to go. Um, but actually it was like screaming and crying and davening. I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this. Resisting, 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 right? That's what that text implies. He who answered Abraham, he will answer your cry, meaning Abraham was crying and was answered, you're crying and you were also answered, right? That's that's what this imagines. And it puts Abraham a lot closer to Hagar, right? Yishmael was dying because they ran out of water and Avram was dying because Hashem commanded, and Yitzchak was dying because Hashem commanded Avram to kill him and you gotta just, you just gotta do what Hashem commands you to do because you're Avraham and you've chosen into that type of relationship with God. By the way, like when you think about Avraham as child um, in that piece of the relationship, it also is a little bit of like a, a hazard, right? Like what are the what are the limits of, of this relationship that we're choosing into? That's also very interesting. But then also then God's commitment to protect the people who've chosen into that relationship. Okay, I've chosen into a relationship but now I'm behaving like Avadim, where I jump when you say jump. You owe me something, God, in that relationship, just like you owed Avraham something in that relationship, and you came through for Avraham when he called out. So I think that's something we see here coming out in the Mishnah. The Gemara on there in, um, in the Yerushalmi says, hold on, what? Why is it Avraham who was answered? Hello, Yitzchak Migal. Isn't this, isn't it not Avraham who was saved? It was Yitzchak who was saved. So just to say, like, I just pre presented this vision of Avraham kind of as Hagar. Um, but the Yerushalmi opens up this, like, it's just great. It's like exactly what we were all thinking. Like, once Avraham was saved at Har Moriah, like, what are you talking about? Like, Yitzchak was saved. Um, and we came out, and, and then what's the Israel. And just as Yitzchak was saved from the, you know, from the scariest um, thing that could be your own parent trying to take a knife to you, so, so to um, all of Israel. Will will someday um, be redeemed. I love I love this year's Shalmi. I think it's just like, it's just it's just really great. Um. Anyways, okay. The rest of this year's Shalmi is awesome, but we're not gonna look at it now. So that's why I gave it to you. You can look at it on your own. Because what I really want to look at is Zichronot. Zichronot is wild. Okay. Um. What we say about Avram in Zichronot, like, this is where we're gonna read it, and then I want everyone to put into the chat how it makes sense to you, okay? And, and like, this is like a core, like piece of davening on Roshana. So like, it has to make sense to you somehow. You're gonna say this in on Shabbos, okay? So our God and God of our fathers, remember us favorably before you be mindful of us for deliverance and compassion from the eternal high heavens. Remember on our behalf, Hashem, our God, the covenant. Remember the covenant, the kindness, the oath, which you swore to our father, Abraham, on Mount Moriah and let there appear before you the binding, right? What's Hashem supposed to remember? Hashem is supposed to remember the binding with which our father Abraham bound his son Yitzchak upon the altar. The kavash how he suppressed his compassion 
to do your will, believe Shalim with a whole heart. Okay, Abraham suppressed his compassion. What are we asking God to do? Um, so may your compassion suppress your anger. Avram suppressed his compassion. Therefore, Hashem, you're supposed to let your compassion win. Do, do you understand the problem here? Oh, Hashem, remember how amazing it was when Avraham suppressed his compassion. Remember how awesome that was? Please do the opposite. That's what we talk about in Zikronot. <laughs> that is crazy pants. Okay. Um, so now that I've set up the problem with the Akita and the way we remember it, um, hopefully people can make some suggestions about how to make sense of that. Um, and I'll just read here the rest of it. And then we're going to get to, um, this is like the bracha at the end of Zichronot. So um, let your goodness turn your fierce anger away from your people, from your city, your land, from your territorial heritage. Fulfill for us, Hashem, the promise you made in your Torah to your servant Moshe from the mouth of your glory. As it is said, I will remember for them the covenant with their fathers whom I took out of the land of Egypt before the eyes of the nations to be their God. I am Hashem. For he who remembers all forgotten things from eternity are you. There is no forgetfulness before the throne of your glory. And the binding of Isaac on behalf of his descendants, may you remember it today with compassion. Again, compassion, compassion, compassion. Abraham didn't show compassion. Therefore, Hashem, you owe us compassion because of the Akedah. Blessed are you, Hashem, who remembers the covenant. It's not a piyut. Like, this is just like core Shmona Esrei, Rosh Hashanah. Abraham didn't show compassion to your children, so you, Hashem, should. What is going on there? Please enlighten and put in the chat if you have ideas. Okay, so Lena says, maybe we're casting Avram's action in a negative light, which would be to, to say, right? Hashem, Avram did this crazy thing for you. Don't be like him, <laughs> uh, right? I think that, and that's a really um, fair like read of this, right? Avram, Kavash Rahamad, right? Avram let his, his Rahamim lose. You're going to strengthen your Rachamim to overcome. Okay. And then Willow says, I'm wondering if the Malach saying Avram's hand was a sort of compassion that we're asking Hashem to repeat. Good. Hashem, you redeemed Isaac, right? It's the Yerushalmi's critique of the Mishnah. You redeemed Isaac, therefore redeem everyone else. Um, Maura Clapper says, Abraham used up the universe's allotment of cruelty, right? Hashem, there's no cruelty left for you. It's been all gone. So you have to put your anger away. There's no space for that here anymore. Ruth says, I get the problem you're describing and maybe we should pay attention to the angel. Like Abraham paid attention to the angel. God should pay attention to the angel as well. Um, good. I feel like that's very similar to what, um, to what Willow said. Um, yeah. Um, we're asking Hashem to, to play the role in our lives that Hashem actually played in the Akedah. Um, there's a straightforward read of this, which is, oh, here, Tali. Um, maybe it's going against what seems right. Maybe God thinks it's correct. God, this is what I was about to say. God thinks it's correct to use justice. So we're asking him to use compassion, just like Avram thought it was correct to use compassion, but suppressed it. Um, good. So just like Avram doesn't do the thing that seems right to him in that moment, which would be to not slaughter a son or not attempt to slaughter a son, 
and he overcomes it in order to do what he thinks is right. So to, uh, in order to like, sorry, not in order to do it. He doesn't do what he thinks is right in order to like follow some greater purpose. So to Hashem, right? Justice would declare like destroying the world or whatever it is. And we're asking Hashem today to remember that Avram's heroism in overcoming what he thought was right. And so to Hashem, you should overcome what you think is right. Yeah, I think that is probably the most straightforward read of this where it's like, oh, we're all experiencing these extreme emotions and we're supposed to overcome them um, in order to, um, in order to, to serve in whatever way we're called upon. So for Abraham, that service is the Akedah. For Hashem, that service is keep the world going, be the king of the world that actually has a kingdom to rule by not destroying us. Um, and therefore, remember, remember that ability to overcome, the tremendous ability to overcome, and um, and and pour it out. You know, like uh, um, be inspired, be inspired, Hashem, be inspired by Avraham, which is also a crazy thing to ask, right? Hashem, be inspired by Avraham. Um, so that so we're, we're out of time here. I think this question about Zichronot there's two basic answers that have come out, right? One is like, yeah, this is um, this is the liturgy recognizing that Avram did something wrong, that there's a way to send away your child. And that's what Avram did with Ishmael. That's what Hannah did. That's what Hashem did with Adam and Eve. And Avram, you didn't get the memo this time. Like you did not manage to send away this child with love. Um, or, um and, and and there's a critique there and the other the other way to read it is like no sometimes we have to do hard things sometimes we have to send away our children sometimes we even are called upon to sacrifice them and sometimes we just have to do hard things and Hashem today we're asking you to do a hard thing also which is to judge us with compassion and then what that means is that compassion is really hard and compassion in the face of difficulty in the face of these people can't live in Eden anymore. It's dangerous for them. I have to send them away. And I have to do that compassionately. I'm going to send them away with clothes, right? I have to send away Yishmael from Yitzchak, but I'm going to do it compassionately. I, I, I promised Hashem that I would, if I got pregnant, I would give that child to the Mishkan in service, but I'm going to send that child away with love and I'm going to visit every year, right? That there's, as a parent, sometimes we, do have to we have to overcome the love that we have for our children even if it's the hardest thing ever in order to enable them to have the space that they need to come back um there's a there's a read of the Akedah which is like this is what Yitzhak needed in order to become a leader um he needed to have this kind of like crazy trauma break experience with Avraham he couldn't just be Avraham he had to be his own person and that's why something terrible had to happen between him and Avraham he needed that space in order to then become the leader that he would be in order to choose back in to a relationship that was that was actually really his um, and that gave him the freedom of that choice to choose back in um, and that's what that distance um, and that maternal sacrifice gives way to. I think it's an essential part of, of, of some creation stories, of some stories of becoming, because that distance then gives us the opportunity to choose that relationship, to turn Hashem into our king, our father, our master, our lover, whatever, whatever choice we choose off of that menu this year. It's only because of the distance between us and Hashem only because we were sacrificed by God, we were sent away, that we can then choose back in on the path that we want for ourselves. So uh, I'll just leave you all with a blessing for a good convention year, a year full of choices and pathways um, into relationship with the God that sadly sent us away with clothes. Um, and, um, and for all the parents out there, um, for all the distance, you know, from the minute we give birth to our children, we're on a path of distancing from them and with hopes that we manage to do the best possible, most compassionate version of that distance. And then with Brechel that they choose us the way that 
all of these children choose their parents too. Um, all right, have a wonderful year, everyone. Can't wait to see you all and keep learning with you in the new year. Oh, thank you so much, Ravaneet Sana, and um, for that amazing, amazing Sheila. And thank you to all of our participants for your contributions and for being part of our learning community. Um, we have a busy Ells Mount at Drisha, even though it is starting to draw to a close. Um, we have more classes coming up tomorrow. Rav Matthew Nitsanin will be teaching at 2 p.m. Eastern on the topic of Tashlich, and Rabinit Sutton will be teaching a class on Pute at 8 p.m. You can register for those classes and see many more. Um, at 5783.drisha.org slash LL. Um, wishing you all a sweet new year. Bye.